Good. Well, yeah. Well, hi, everybody. And, and thanks for joining us. This is something to talk about. And the, the house is full. Uh, number one, I want to say a big, big shout out and a thank you to the lovely lady sitting next to me, I, I hope on your screen too, to Christine Dean, who is the DFW Networking Diva. And you can go dfwnetworkingdiva.com and find out all of what she does because she's responsible for producing this show today. Uh, she has helped remarket me. Uh, I have my own website now and a lot of new marketing tools I'm learning about all the time. She can do the same for you, dfwnetworkingdiva.com. Uh, Christine Dean, and thank you very, very much. Get in touch with her. She can help you out, too. And then also, as you know, uh, she is always Vaughn, and... He's always Stuart. That's right. And we also have in the house with us Charlotte Dudley. And uh, Charlotte Dudley is a, uh, an education advocate, but for children with special needs. And did I say that right? You did. You okay. did. Yeah. Special then education I, advocate. I think the best way to start off our conversation is, Charlotte, for you just tell our listeners and, and, and viewers and all exactly what you do and, and how you do it. Okay. All right. Well, as a um, special education advocate, I'm really trying to help parents uh, navigate the special education system. Um, it can be very confusing and very overwhelming. So just having somebody that can explain it to you um, is often very helpful for parents. Uh, sometimes they find that they are, or they get into a crossroads with the school and having almost a mediator or just feeling like somebody's on their side helps to de-stress the situation. So that is another role I play often in the meetings is just being able to explain to parents and then also to uh, give them an idea of what to be asking for. So a lot of parents don't have the background in education that I did when I was parenting. So they need that just that extra information to know what to ask for, what resources are available, and I can consult on that and make recommendations and then just help them navigate. So you work mostly with the parents versus the actual child with the special needs. You're, you're more navigating the process and resources and rather than working directly with the child. Yes. Um, okay. Yes, um, I try to get to know the kid, the, the kid or the child as much as I possibly can, but I, I don't always know them. Um, it's really the parents and the, and the school and the paperwork and, and just the navigation process. So I used to work directly with the children as a teacher and, um, and I do miss that part of it. So, uh, but this is a very vital part that I always felt was um, very important for the parents. So. It, Absolutely. It was, so you saw that there was a real need there just in helping direct the, the families through what to expect, how, you know, here we are, here's where we want to be, how do we get there sort of thing. Exactly. And I, I had a unique perspective in that I was a special education teacher, but then I also had a, a daughter that has had some special education services. So even knowing everything I knew, once I got on the parent side of the table, and there were the 12 or 13 people on the other side of the table, it was very overwhelming for me. So I could only imagine what it's like for a parent that maybe is an engineer and has no 
public school education understanding and they get thrown with all those acronyms and you know letters and just it's like alphabet soup when you get into those meetings and it's it's very confusing i'm going to kind of play the play the part of the third wheel here because vaughn has a background uh, in education also and so she understands uh, a little bit more about this uh, i guess the, my first question is how how is it established uh, how do you determine that that child may have that that special education need does it start with the teacher recognizing it and notifying the parent that the child does need some special education uh, or or you know the, like you said it's it's if they've got an engineering background in the home they may not recognize it other than the fact that maybe maybe Billy's a little bit more hyper than uh, than some of the other kids but how where is the where's the foundation laid where is the seed that 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 starts this process it's a good question yeah no it can it actually it can come from anywhere so you may have a pediatrician that notices some developmental difficulties when a child is you know 6 months old or 12 months old and there are agencies that can start uh, before that, you know, um, early childhood intervention is a great resource and can can intervene whether it's physical or developmental um, early on. So it may not be the parent, maybe it's a physician, or it may be the parent, and the parent can reach out there. But as a kid gets a child gets older and they get into the public school system, um, there may be a speech delay, and you could start preschool services through public school um, at ages three and four and they, they will provide those services as well. So if you know you noticed your child wasn't, their language was delayed, or um, maybe you suspected um, you know, a disability such as autism or you know, anything in those areas, or I mean, your child has Down syndrome. I mean, they're going to apply for, um, or can, they will qualify for the early childhood um, classes through public school and will start those preschool classes. Um, but then, you know, once you get into grade school, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, uh, the, the parents may notice for, and they can bring it up for evaluation or a teacher may notice and she could bring it up for evaluation. So it's really anybody that feels that there's a need, they can ask for or call for an evaluation. And would you be the one who would provide that evaluation? I would not. And that would be a, the schools are required to evaluate at no cost to the parents. So that would be, a, a diagnostician, a licensed school psychologist, uh, just depending on what the evaluations are for. So there's okay. a variety of evaluations that could occur for a child. Um, yeah. So the kids, so the kids would come to you after the evaluation. You get these children already evaluated. You know what special needs they're dealing with, and then you take it from there in terms of guiding the parents through the process. Right. Any any time during the process, the parents could come to me if they get the evaluation and they don't agree with it. You know, I can guide them through what they can do, because a lot of times the, the parents don't feel like the evaluation covered everything. They don't feel like it was accurate. Um, maybe the child had a pragmatic language, you know, disability, and they feel like that interfered with the cognitive testing. So they can always go for an outside evaluation. And I usually advise for them you know, to request that. Um, it's called an independent educational evaluation. So you don't have, it's like getting a second opinion, but it's outside of the school district. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and, and I was to say, at, at, at what age 
uh, or a little age group and all, is it a good idea to start looking for this possibility that, that you said you may start with a pediatrician that, that recognizes something, but if it gets to that school age, the early school age, is that the best time to identify it so it can be, it can be uh, you know, started at an early age? Right. Yes. The earlier you can, you know, get on top of some kind of an eligibility like that, the better. So, for instance, if a child is showing signs of dyslexia or learning disability, they are, you want to, you want to intervene earlier so that they don't get into those later years and have missed a bunch of skills along the way. Uh, so the earlier is always better, but it's never too late either. So you may find that, you know, this child is, we have a lot of kids that we call twice exceptional. They may be very gifted and talented, but they're also struggling with some kind of a, a learning disability, but they're able to compensate for that disability. Uh, and, and so it's not as easy to see. So say they're gifted and talented, but they're dyslexic but they've kind of found some tricks and eventually that catches up with them, maybe middle school. So it's, it's never too late to, you know, evaluate for a suspected disability and uh, intervene, you know, to make that process less debilitating, I guess, in the future. Well, it's, that's very interesting. I'm a reading specialist by trade. And I think it's interesting that you were saying it's never too late, but you do want to catch it early because also what the kids would do is kind of develop bad habits in compensating for their needs that of which they might not even be aware and so you're going to have to like not only recourse but kind of re you know reform new habits and so probably better to catch it early on but then at the same time you don't want to go too early for example i had a friend who whose son was in preschool and the the teachers were thinking that perhaps maybe he had some kind of reading disability and mm -hmm. i didn't disagree at all I just said at the age of four, I felt that it was a, a little bit too young to kind of put that label on him at that time. And this story has a happy ending because he's now almost six and reading very well. And it just, the light bulb just went off one day and um, he's, he's reading very well. So it's kind of probably, and I'm just speaking specifically about re reading perhaps, you know, disabilities or, or, or needs, whatever, but, but it, there, that's probably very, it's probably for the parents. And I know you deal a lot with the parents, probably very tricky because you're looking at your child, you know, your child better than anybody. You know, you bring them in, they get expert advice. They take a test perhaps, you know, you're not real sure. Should we do something about it now? Is it too soon? You know, probably once the needs have been defined and you know that this is how you need to move forward and then they can work with you and guiding them through the process, probably the early stages of this whole thing for the parents especially is very tricky because you're playing the guessing game a lot in the beginning, right? On whatever the need might be. Well, and it, it's true. And, and we're talking, you know, right now, kind of a learning disability, specifically reading could be, it could be math, but it's, you know, that development is, for any child is on a continuum. So it's not, you know, you, sh you have to be right here at this time. You know, there's, there's, there's really a range there and always taking that in, into mind. So in reading specifically, uh, they really, unless it's just something very obvious, they're usually looking more in second grade or third grade to see if, you know, that if it's caught up, if it's clicked, like you said, the light bulb went off. But if it if it's not, then by the time we're getting into late second grade, third grade, then it you know it's really indicative of of a 
you know, Absolutely. problem that may need an evaluation. So, so mostly then, um, I, I have two questions, Stuart, I'm sorry. I just have two questions. Go right ahead. Um, so mostly you're seeing families of school age children, not preschool age. And then also, um, um, oh shoot, I lost my train of thought. I had a second, it'll come to me. But mostly, oh, I had, so mostly you're seeing school age kids and also, how many approximately needs would fall under the umbrella of, of kind of what you manage? Um, okay. So, like reading, learning, social, are we talking social too? Mm -hmm, social, behavioral. So in special education, there's actually 13 eligibilities and it ranges from a, a learning disability, um, an intellectual disability, which would be those, those lower IQs. Um, there's, the uh, hearing impaired, there's visually impaired, there's autism. Oh, wow. uh, there is, uh, there may be some kind of a physical, you know, disability that, you know, goes along in there. Um, I'm trying to think of the, of the whole list because there's, like I said, I mean, there's 13 different eligibilities. So um, I've had some very, you know, extreme I say extreme children, but some with significant multiple disabilities. There was a child that had an intellectual disability, autism, um, Down syndrome. Uh, he was hearing impaired oh and uh, and speech impaired. He was nonverbal. So there was there's quite a range there for for that particular student. And or there may be a child that has developed typically all the way through, but they have dyslexia. And they're struggling with the, the dyslexia part and the services and reading. So it can be just a wide range of disabilities and, and severity, you know, among parents. But you had mentioned um, preschool. And a lot of times, if it's preschool within the school district um, and they have an IEP, I can help with that. And sometimes parents will, will want some assistance going from the preschool environment into kindergarten because that, that's going to change their placement. Um, and how they're being served. And they wanna make sure that their child um, is in general education as much as possible and, and just kind of navigating that. And, you know, when options are being proposed by the school, is this the right option? You know, what other options do we have? I'm trying to figure that out. And when you say IEP, is educational plan or individual evaluation plan? Or am I way off on all of them? No, 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 you're right. And you cut out for a second, but then IEP is an individualized education plan. So okay. any child with special education services um, for any of those eligibilities would have, have a, their own individualized plan to help with their specific learning needs. Through most school districts? Mm -hmm. Well, through all school districts. It's through actually, all yeah, federally mandated. So there oh, will be a version of that throughout the country. Okay, okay. You know, I, I'm curious, talked earlier that that it may be the pediatrician that says they're that they, they recognize uh, the need for for this special education uh, it might be the teacher uh, at, at the very early age does this is this ever generated from the parents point of view that maybe the parent see that the child is not you know acting quite right and then they go to the school because the, doesn't it have to be generated from the school uh, to get them into one of these programs? The school does have to evaluate, but if a parent requests an evaluation in a certain area, then 
typically the schools will do it. They would have to provide parents with a written explanation of why they were not willing to do the evaluation. Okay. So yes, absolutely. Parents can um, suspect, you know, some kind of a concern. They may, you know, feel like their child is really struggling. You know, I mean, they they already have an IEP, but they feel like maybe there's something else there too. They're having trouble with writing and they need an occupational therapy evaluation. Um, you know, what, whatever the case may be, a parent can bring up you know, maybe speech, you know, they, they don't feel like their child is understanding things as easily as they should. They can request a speech evaluation. So um, it can really vary. So I have a couple of more questions. So if the parent chooses to go to go a route that takes them through the district programs and resources, th those would obviously be paid for, you know, taxpayers pay for the So that's paid for. Should they want to go outside their school or district I'm assuming they're going to have to, it's going to be out of pocket then any programs or treatment or resources that they pursue outside the district. I'm assuming that that's going to have to be out of pocket. And if it is, is there even any insurance that would cover any uh, services related to special needs um, programs? Yes. And a lot of parents, they may receive speech, for instance, speech services or occupational services through the school district but then they also pursue those same services outside the district. And typically um, okay. it, they do have insurance in those areas. Um, okay. it'll, it'll vary on a, on a, you know, it varies I'm sure by your insurance plan, but I have seen ABA therapy, which is um, typically for our kiddos with autism, um, counseling, uh, occupational therapy, physical therapy, uh, speech therapy, all of those things uh, in many in many different insurance plans are covered um, and many they're probably not. So I guess it would just really depend on the, the company's insurance when it comes to that. So, and yes, if they pursue those outside of the school. The school, if they evaluate and determine that they need them, then they will provide it within the school district and within the school system um, and, and during the school day. But if it is uh, something that the parents want additionally, then they would cover that cost. I know that I subbed last year and the year before, and actually last year, um, well, at the beginning of last year, of course, the end of last school year, we were all home. But in the beginning of last year, I was in the resource room at one of our local elementary schools. Stuart knows I was subbing a lot. And it, it was such an enlightening experience because I'd always been in the classroom, you know, and um, this is the resource room. So I know you know um, about the resource room. Are those the type of needs that you we're discussing here today? The behavioral, the dyslexia, the you know, all of it, you know, we didn't see too many of the like downs in the resource room. We saw mainly more, I think probably more the learning and social and intellectual uh, mm -hmm. needs, but would that be the group of kiddos we're talking about? Uh, yes, but it could also be the kiddos that the severity of their needs include a self-contained classroom. Uh -huh. So there, there are some children that, you know, they're they really need a, a very specialized environment. And so they will have a classroom that accommodates those needs as well. Or it, it could be medically fragile and they need a, a much different environment. So those, and those can be on a, on a regular school campus. So the resource room is typically those kiddos moving in and out of general ed. They may just need like some help with reading, but in the other subjects there in, in class, uh, maybe they need some social and behavioral support um, one of the eligibilities I didn't mention was an emotional uh, disturbance or ED. 
Um, and so they just need more help with the social skills. Um, typically our kiddos with autism have social skill services throughout the day. So, so yes, that would be the resource moving in and out, but then also there's the, the children, like I said, that are in a more specialized self-contained right. unit that, that need for whatever those needs are, whether it's behavioral or, um, you know, life skills or right. something of that nature. I just, I just didn't even know that until I went and subbed, I mean, the school district, just the, the, I mean, a lot about the, the logistics of just the makeup of a school district has changed since I taught. And I, I really like the concept of a resource room because these kiddos actually, they were in general ed, they were in the regular classroom, but there were times throughout the day when they would, you know, come through the resource room. Sometimes it was just to take a break mm -hmm. because sometimes these kids just were uh, very easily overwhelmed and needed to come and take a break. And they have like little stress, a little stress corner where you could just sit and kind of clear your mind and whatnot. And um, other times it was to get the special help that you're talking about, basically a one-on-one -on -one kind of tutoring session uh, with me in particular, it was with re for reading and whatnot. But I, what I like about this conversation that we're all having today is that clearly the school districts have recognized a great need to have programs, classrooms, resources, teachers, available counselors to, to work with these kids. Um, so I, so I like that we're having this kind of conversation that the dialogue is happening because like you said, to catch it early on is key. If it's something that can be, you know, kind of treated and corrected, if not teach them how to manage and learn to live with their, their special need. Mm -hmm. So most, most schools, do you think most schools have a resource room or is that something that's, uh, not certainly not required? I wouldn't think. Um, well, what is required is what they call the, the least restrictive environment, and there's a, a continuum of services. So, you know, any child that could benefit at all from being in general education um, during any part of their day should be allowed to be in general education. And so on a continuum of services, it can, it can you know, general education um, on your own general education within class support, which they call push-in. So you might have the special education teachers or paras coming into the classroom to support students while they're in a general education class and just be that extra, you know, extra help. Um, but then also then you have like the, the resource room or something similar where kids, you know, come in and out based on their needs and to work on specific goals to build up their success in general education. Then they also have self-contained classes that are, even in a self-contained class, if a child would benefit from recess out with their typical peers, lunch, um, they can handle science, you know, whatever, you know, uh, specials, PE, they, they should be incorporated into those areas. Because again, general education is the least restrictive environment and that's where they, they should be. And then, um, but then also if, you know, the more restrictive environments would be, um, homebound, which would be more of a hospitalization or a medical thing, um, hopefully temporarily, but some children are very medically fragile. And, and so their education would kind of be supplemented and brought to them in some respect. And then there are even, even times where a child's severity is so great that they may have a residential placement that the school, um, and of course, that's the most restrictive um, in that continuum. So, um, but yeah. Charlotte. Mm -hmm. What what has you know, you just talked about this 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 home environment? What has this pandemic done for for those children that have special needs 
and and now now a lot of the learning process has been shifted to the parents that have to not only be parents but they've got to be the teachers too to the child who is restricted to to being at home uh, how has that affected what what you can do uh, between the schools and the parents so well, at the end of the year, I had a bunch of meetings already scheduled and they all went to Zoom. So we continued having um, what they call the ARD meetings, which was the annual review and dismissal meetings. And that's where you develop the IEP, which is the individualized education plan. Seeing the alphabet soup going on right now. So we still had those meetings, but um, what we're struggling with right now and um, you know, and, and Texas just announced yesterday that uh, they will resume in-house school next year. And it's causing quite a conversation on social media because some parents are like, oh, thank goodness, this is exactly what we need. My child is regressing, they're, they're struggling. And then others are like, oh no, I'm keeping, you know, cause there'll be the option. They'll have in-house school, but parents can keep their child home again, you know, for distance learning. And some parents are like, my child is, is not going back. It's not safe. It's not going to happen. So there's there's quite a dichotomy going on there. But um, with the special needs population, I mean, if you have a child that has speech services, depending on your child and the severity of their disability, maybe the Zoom works, but maybe not. You know, um, if you have a child that has attention problems and um, maybe an intellectual disability and they've had speech services and they're not getting that one-on-one -on -one hands-on, they're really struggling. So they're regressing in their speech because they don't have kids around to talk to. They don't have typical peers. Uh, if they have physical therapy, that that's almost impossible to do. And if you have a parent that's been an essential worker and they're trying to educate and, you know, I mean, the, the physical therapy, the occupational therapy, the speech therapy, even just the academics and the education is, is definitely suffering for a lot of our kids. And so there, there's a lot of regression um, that's going on. And then, you know, at this point, the schools at the end of the year were not willing to talk about compensatory services, but when a child regresses, uh, compensatory services to compensate for the regression are supposed to be implemented. And that's something that's gonna be a big discussion, I think, as we go into the beginning of the school year, um, you know about all the regression that's occurred since last March. Now, yeah. if you know you are not you are not the the special education, if you will, teacher to help these students, and all you are basically working between the school system and the parents. Do you also have at your disposal uh, a network of tutors or people that can step in to work? one-on-one -on -one with these students to, to help them with some of these challenges that they have? Um, I try to, you know, get as many recommendations and resources together as I can, but, you know, with all the different districts that I work within, typically it's going to be, you know, something that the parents provide. Now, if the school owes the, the you know, if it's determined that the school district owes compensatory services to a parent, then they will typically try and offer it through the district. Um, so it may be a additional, you know, one of their teachers, um, preferably, uh, is what they would prefer. But sometimes they will allow for parents to get outside services and then compensate them financially for the outside services. 
So, but most, most likely they would provide the compensatory services with staff before and after school or during the summer to do that. Um, so, but yeah, but I always encourage parents too, that if they feel like their child is, is struggling, um, I know that we had tutors for our daughter, even though she was in some special education classes, you know, she still needed additional help and, and sometimes, you know, that, that just doesn't. So, so most of your families are being are receiving their services, programs, resources, staffing, whatever, funded by the district. Most most families are through the district, funded by the district. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, but you know, I mean, they may, like I said, they may choose additional services. Some extracurricular like outside. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. Right. I got you. I was just trying to put my mind around because I know that we're not talking mental health really i know that probably mental health is a, a a whole different kind of topic because well, mental, mental health would follow would fall under that emotional disturbance area and and that is an eligibility so sometimes you know that is a real concern and something that is is indicated and that mental health may be um is most likely when the residential placements if the severity is so great that the school district, you know, feels that that's, you know, the parents will ask for it and, and then that may happen. Um, it's rare, but it, right. it So when you're in, when you're in a school district, if you're lucky enough, fortunate enough to be in a school district, so from kindergarten on to your, you know, senior year, you have some, the support, um, financial and otherwise, but when you graduate from that school district, can they no longer receive your, I mean, can they still go to you or are you kind of an employee of the district, somebody like you? I mean, can they still go through you to navigate the waters or are they now on their own since they're out of the district? Um, you know, as my daughter is starting college this year, I, I am definitely gaining some, some skills in, you know, those children that have accommodations that can carry into college so at this point i'm feeling like you know yes if they've had an iep and they've had some accommodations through a 504 plan or an or an you know an education plan through special ed services um, i could help them navigate and point them in the directions they need to go to get whatever services are available through colleges which is a lot less than through the public school system um, right. but, but they can provide um, you know testing accommodations and you know certain accommodations within the classroom and the learning environment. Um, but a lot of the kiddos that have an intellectual disability need what we call transition, additional transition services. And they're eligible to stay in the public school system through their 21st birthday. So, oh. so for instance, they turned 21 in September, but school started in um, August, they could finish that, that next year. Okay. Makes sense. Or if they turned, as long as they were 21 when school started, um, they, they could finish that, that school year. So some, some may end at 22. Uh, so that, okay. that provides a lot of times those are, you know, leading into work skills and, um, community skills after high school, um, to help them, you know, be able to integrate more successfully into society. That's, that's great. That's really good to hear. So it's not like they just cut them off. They actually try to help kind of transition them into the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But typically, you know, you all, it's not going to be just your your child with you know, um, 
you know, maybe some reading struggles and dyslexia though. It's going to be our, our more severe. Right. Yeah. That are going right. to qualify for the, that extension. The ones, the ones who really need the attention. I mean, the ones who really need the, you know, you know, I, you also brought up something else earlier, um, testing. Uh, let's just go back and say we've got a kindergartner or second grader and we're, te we're testing. I've actually heard parents before who've questioned whether or not their child might need uh, some special um, help or, uh, you know, teaching, tutoring, whatever. Um, but they've been reluctant to do so because they don't want to do the testing in the school district because they're afraid their child then will be labeled early on. Have you ever heard of that concern? Because I've heard it definitely a couple, just I've been in this school district a long time and I've heard it just over time, just I don't think I want to do it because then it'll go in their file forevermore. What right. do you, how do you speak to that concern? Um, well, parents can always go out and do their own evaluation. I mean, it's, it, it's pricey, you know, I mean, I would, if I were to, throw a figure out, I would say at least $2,500 to do their own oh, battery of evaluations. But um, if they want just, you know, their own peace of mind and, and they don't want to take it into the district, they, they could do that and at least have the information. Um, from that information, if they want to present it to the district, they can. And if they want to sit on it for a while and see if it works its way through, um, then they could do that as well. So it's, um, but typically it's, it's not the kiddos with a, a learning disability or it, it's something more severe that they don't, that they're really concerned about that they don't want the label for. Okay. Uh, I see what you're saying. Right. I, I want to kind of piggyback on what Vaughn just, just said. What about a situation you, you, where one of the parents, because I would imagine it's not necessarily both, but one of the set, the parents says, okay, well, we've gotten this kind of kind of evaluation. Maybe we should do something, but maybe it's just a phase that the child is going through and they will grow out of it. How how do you address that kind of a comment? Um well it it we're we're talking about an educational environment where you know where learning needs to take place. So you really have to weigh whatever's happening with, with how that's impacting their, their educational, you know, learning. So potential, right. So it maybe it's, it's ADHD um, and that eligibility typically follows, follows under other health impairment and ADHD has, you know, to be diagnosed by a doctor because it's a medical diagnosis. So, but they would say, you know, the, the child has ADHD. Parents also have the, the right um, exclusively whether or not they're going to medicate or not medicate for for some of those disabilities. So what the school can do is put in accommodations into their IEP. So maybe they can stand instead of sit, or they can you know something that's going to help them you know manage you know the you know that eligibility. But you've got to look at um, yes, maybe they're going to grow out of it, but is it impacting their education to a point to where they're not getting the information and they're falling behind and they're not learning. So at that point, you know, why not get those, at least the accommodations in place? Maybe the parents decide not to medicate, but you need to get something in place that's going to help them to the, whatever extent possible learn because, you know, that's why they're there and you don't want them to get into, you know, middle school where they've, you know, now they've managed to, you know, focus better, but 
they they've lost you know they have gaps in their in their education that's going to cause them difficulties moving forward so, so that's interesting so the so you really focus on correct me if i'm wrong but you're you're trying to manage these special needs in an effort to help them better learn in an educational environment so this is like this is about educating these these kiddos then as you go on as they get older and now you were saying earlier they're going out into the real world it might transition a little bit into depending on their needs more of a work related type kind of support program working so but, but what you're doing is you're mainly focusing on educational success and you're trying to get them prepared and better prepared to be able to learn under their special needs circumstances yes yes okay. but one of the the one of the interesting parts about that is like the social emotional health of a child directly affects their education too. So, um, you know, that's where that social skills comes in. I mean, if you're not able to interact with your peers, if you're not able to um, communicate well with your instructors, uh, your behavior is so extreme that you can't learn that follows in that same educational, you know, area. Um, you know, if you're not able to navigate your environment, uh, maybe, you know, physical, you know, disability, then, you know, that also interferes with your ability to, to learn. So it's giving them access as well as, um, you know, just, it's really just giving them access to their education to, so that they can, they can learn, but it just right. falls into so many areas, you know, the speech, the oh, emotional, yeah. behavioral, the physical, uh, so. Well, you mentioned that there were 13 different areas yeah. To, to, to evaluate and, and and some children may may be fall into one of those some may fall into six seven eight of those mm-hmm. one thing I want I want to say for those that are listening and watching us uh, on the program and we'll we'll watch it even after we we uh, uh, go off live is is if people want to get in touch with you to, to learn more the first step would probably be to to go to dudleyadvocacyandconsulting.com. That, that, that's your website. Or email you at charlotte at dudleyadvocacyandconsulting.com. Phone number that somebody might want to call if they want to say, listen, I just got a, a question after watching the show. What's the best phone number? That would be 972-752-0229. Okay, that's 972-752-0229. Yes, and it's on my website as well. Right, now that that brings me to my next question. You are Dudley Advocacy and Consulting. Are they basically interactive or does advocacy and consulting have different monikers that can be addressed singly as well as together? Um, that's an interesting question. I I really wish I hadn't made my title so long, so I could make it go into one or the other. Um, it gets really you know difficult to type all that in all the time. But that said, I you know at the time that I was um, naming my business, it's a special education advocate is somebody in um, in my definition that goes in and and advocates with the parents, and we're you know trying to make sure that all of the services are are in place and where 
and and I am actively participating in the advo advocation for that child. Um, but consulting is, you know, I feel like I need to offer a continuum of services to parents as well. And the consulting part is, you know, if they just want me to look at paperwork and give them advice, but they feel like they've, you know, they've got this, but they just need an outside opinion or they they want, you know, a more in-depth, you know, understanding of maybe the evaluation that came out or, you know, the IEP draft that they're, you know, going to be discussing in the meeting, then I'm happy to just sit down with them and consult or answer questions. Um, you know, so a lot of times I'm advocating actively for the child with the district, but other times I'm, you know, in between meetings or throughout the rest of the year, I'm, I'm just consulting and parents are saying, you know, what do you think about this progress that they made on the progress report? Or, um, you know, should, you know, we ask for this or, you know, I had this conversation with the teacher and I'm not happy with it. What, what do I respond with? And so I may be drafting letters or just consulting, you know, and, and giving advice on how to go forward. I don't know if that answered your question, but I, I feel like I felt like they were two very different, you know, kinds of things. And so that's why I put them both in there. I think I think it's I think it's a it's a great name for your for your your efforts, your company. I think and I think your role in all this. I mean, I have I, I'm so passionate about this. I have so many more questions for you. We way too many to, you know, but I just think your role in this whole picture is so valuable. And, and what you're doing for the families must just bring them such comfort. I mean, it's a very stressful time um, from little little kind of social learning needs to, to the big ones. Even the little ones are very, very concerning. I mean, parents just want so much for our kids and it's such a competitive world and we've got to keep up and they've got to keep up with their peers and how are they going to keep up with their peers if they... So I just think you bringing just a sense of calmness, first of all, is huge for these families. And I just applaud you know, what, you've, what you've done here in forming this company. Well, and and also, I, th I think that, that hopefully this is, has fallen on some new ears that uh, people that are watching and listening to the program is because I think there's probably an awful lot of people that don't realize that, that services like this uh, exist. You know, it's just a matter of the school and the, and the parent and deal with it uh, and all, but that there is someone who can get in the middle and, 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 and go through all of the, this paperwork and everything to decide what is the best approach for the betterment of the child, and which is the main concern. And especially after coming out of this pandemic, again, as I said earlier, where the parent has become the teacher, uh, now the parent maybe is understanding a little bit more about what that attention deficit really means with their child and, and how to, to react to it. And instead of saying, what can I do there is someone like Charlotte Dudley that can help them navigate it and know what the options are. Well, and, and I, I want to say, I mean, my, my whole goal really is to, with, with any client that I have, is to work my way out of a job. I mean, my, my hope is that I can educate them so that they are more confident in, in navigating the process themselves. To accept so, the recommendations and move forward. Right. I mean, I'm happy to stay with them from pre-K to, you know, through high school, but, um, but, you know, really if, you know, I, I would like to, to educate them so that they don't feel so overwhelmed in the process and that emotions don't get. Teach them, you know, teach them to fish rather than just giving them the fish, teach them to fish so that they can move forward and feed themselves. Right. Ideally, well, but, 
like I said, I'm happy to fish with them for 12 years, <laughs> but you know, educating is, you know, I'm, I'm an educator at heart. So that's, you know, really where a lot of that consulting comes from. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Charlotte Dudley, thank you very, very much for, for taking the time to, to spend with us to open up some doors and windows to, to what this process is all about so that people can, can know what options that they have instead of feeling like they're, they're, they're stifled with their children's upbringing, that you offer a service and a program that I think is invaluable for an awful lot of students and a, a, a better understanding of what the school system is doing and what they can do in the parental role too. Yeah. Uh, again, to our, our lovely producer, Christine Dean of DFW, uh, uh, you know, networking diva. Thank you there very much for, for producing the show uh, and being with us. Uh, thank you for all that you do. Vaughn, always a pleasure to be with you and to everyone that's watching. Please join Vaughn and I next week. We may have a guest. It may just be the two of us going at each other's throats. Um, you know, we'll do that from time to time. <laughs> just to Never. keep it lively. But uh, go out and make it a great weekend and a great week ahead. And again, Charlotte Dudley of uh, Dudley Advocacy and Consulting, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you, guys. Great show, guys. Okay. Thank have you. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. DFW Networking Diva, connecting you to who you want to know.